Okay. What was that? That was William Henry Harrison, the musical. <sighs> like a preview. Nah, that was the whole thing. He died in like a month. And you want me to produce that? You know, I thought you might react like this, so I came prepared. There is another version. I thought the first one was stronger, but all right. Go. I'm William Henry Harrison. Back in 1812, put a beat down on the British, put some trophies on my shelves. The Whigs saw Van Buren put the country in a stew, so I ran as the hero of Chippecanoe. And Tyler, too. I killed a bunch of Indians, planned to kill some more. Gonna run up my score before I run for four more. I should have worn a coat. I should have worn a coat. At my inauguration, got a tickle in my throat. The suckers who elected me threw away they vote. Cause I could have run this mother if I wore a fucking coat. Is there a third option? Coming to you from Chicago, Illinois, DB Comedy presents The Electables, presidential sketch comedy and history for people who can't afford Hamilton. Today's episode, President 9, William Henry Harrison. For those of you that are returning to DB Comedy presents The Electables, welcome back. For those of you that are new... This is a hybrid, a mashup of sketch comedy about the presidents and discussions with people who know things about presidents. History, if you will. We hope you enjoy, we hope you do some digging, and we hope to keep hearing from more new friends. Enjoy. Someone William. William Henry Harrison. William Henry Harrison. 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 Yes. You know... And let's just let's talk about that 1840 election because yeah, was there a time when an incumbent got so thoroughly trounced (laughs) by by the upcoming guy coming after him? Because I mean, Harrison got got Van Buren on like every every count. Like he he had a terrible economy. He kept uh, screwing up the slavery thing. He was short and silly looking. Uh, so much so that they Nothing put it wrong in the song. short and silly looking, says this short and silly was... looking guy. But you didn't have his mutton chops. <laughs> yeah, but no one's you, written a song about, about how rookie? short and silly looking you are. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, are you the, talking about the ruffle? Not so subtle references. Uh, well, just the the not so well, subtle how... references to Van Van that used up little man, and uh, oh, wow. how easy it is to beat little notes. man. I had never, I had never heard this song, but there is a song that uh, continually uses the uh, as a chorus "Wurt Wurt," and they they're talking about Harrison to say, "Old Tip, he wore a homespun coat. He had no ruffled shirt, but Matt, he has the golden plate, and he's a little squirt, which is incredibly mean." What a terrible thing to say to a president that has nothing to do with politics. Just mean. Just mean now. I love it. Okay. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's like, been mean. There's apparently just so many things about Martin Van Buren that you can write mean songs about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of rhymes. Whereas William well, Henry, and, whereas William Henry Harrison um, is um, 
the hero of Tippecanoe, which he didn't win. Which he didn't win. And of course, <laughs> as we've been, as, as I've described this whole project to people, one of my sales lines has always been, will the William Henry Harris, Harrison podcast be as long as his presidency? Download and find out. And of course, it, the, the presidency is what it is, but how he got Probably there longer. is... Yeah, possibly longer. We can work on that. Mm. But how he got there is rather interesting. And that campaign is, as we've already talked about, it, the, the campaign itself, to say nothing of, honestly, the first really hooky, snazzy uh, slogan anybody ever came up with, of Tippecanoe and Tyler 2, rolls right off your tongue. I think it is fair to say that you're, yeah, Harrison had the most historically significant campaign for president and the least historically significant presidency of anyone who's ever held that office also also true um <laughs> so Tommy, he got people drunk enough got people drunk enough to vote for him yeah <laughs> well and he marketed so much of that i remember being at a and you're from evansville so maybe you've also heard these things i've only I dated re- evansville i never lived there we only dated evansville. <laughs> okay so you're safe you're safe just hand sanitize and you'll be fine. Uh, Never see the big peach again. <laughs> there was, I remember being a kid. It's not a nice were, thing to say about uh, your ex. There were storytelling contests in like Indianapolis in and around. And I saw no, no fewer than three different stories about William Henry Harrison. And all of them emphasized how much she ran on like referring to hard cider and talking about drinking and being drunk. Like I get a sense that he was almost like, if you liked the fun of Jackson, but not the politics of Van Buren, enjoy William Henry Harrison. <laughs> He's the president you could have a beer with. Yeah. Or, ah, a tankard, if you and will. Who allegedly makes his own beer. But none of, again, none of this was true. So, Tommy, let me get this straight. You actually participated in Indiana historical pageants that celebrated William Henry Harrison. Unfortunately, it is worse. I had to attend these as a child. They were done by adults. Mm-hmm. Another that, that perfect lead into a sketch. Tommy, you are terrifyingly good at this. <laughs> I've not seen these sketches. I should clarify. I've not read them. <laughs> I have no idea what these are. But yeah, it. Uh, I remember that. I also remember people like talking about him. He's not really from Indiana. Virginia. We sort of, sort of grandfather him in because we have Benjamin Harris. It, well, well, I mean, and he was—he was, he was one of your first governors too. So, like, yes, I think we were still. I think the first time he was, we were still the Ohio territory, and then later, when we were the Indiana territory, he was there again. Right. Stat- I know there's also a statue of him in Cincinnati. I was surprised to know, like, he's respond. <laughs> he was responsible for a lot of the Midwest. See, yeah, that's the thing about it, William Henry Harrison. Is he is. He had such a long, fascinating, interesting career, and he's only ever remembered for having his ridiculously short presidency. (laughs) But that career ended up being both consequential and incredibly controversial, especially in this day and age, um, with all of the the Indian Wars and such. Um, Which he did not win. Which he also did not win. Well, I'm curious, though, Tommy, what you, I mean, going back to your youth and these contests and the, this Absolutely. Harrison, was it, was, what, so do people in Indiana still sort of hold Henry, William Henry Harrison in high regard? 
No. Um, <laughs> fortunately, but you got to remember, I was at these things in like the late 90s, early 2000s. Political correctness had kind of come around. So for the most part, no, people were willing to sort of cast him as the villain. Now, I do remember one that was really celebrating him, and it made a big deal out of, uh, I mean, they, you have to sort of do some mental gymnastics to avoid talking about his treatment of the Native Americans. So they would talk about his, uh, like, granting lands and, like, sort of, you know, like, he would, like, lay out counties, which is not that interesting. But again, like, to find the all of the interesting stuff is in the military stuff, and all of that was, you know, against Native Americans, which in some ways it's kind of impressive that he lost all of that, <laughs> considering, like, you know, the technology gap there. It's, it's a little, like, you had to try to lose, mm-hmm. and he did. But uh, no, no military genius. He <laughs> no, See? no. But somehow, still louded that way. The thing about his military genius is the Battle of Tippecanoe. One, he fought it to a draw. Uh, I think the American side, the the force that he marshaled as governor and marched up, you know, the Tippecanoe River to the settlement that was, you know, at being governed at. It would have been established by Tecumseh and was being run by Tecumseh's brother, the prophet, who, um, this is not politically correct to say, but he was a drunk. They fought him to a standstill. Tecumseh, probably, quite possibly the greatest, certainly the greatest Indian, Native American military leader of his day, and perhaps of all time. He was down in the South trying to promote Indian, you know, pan-Indian unity among the Cree and some of the other tribes. So... Harrison had the chance of a lifetime to make himself, a, you know, to make himself a military hero, and he still didn't win. But it still got, but it still was recategorized as a victory because he was not slaughtered. Yeah, everyone sort of just agreed that he would continue to be the hero he might have been. <laughs> they just decided, like, he lost, but let's give this to him. So I'm sure. well, he didn't die. So <laughs> and every time you see him depicted in Indiana or Ohio, it's on horseback. It's in like military regalia. Well, he, he was also he was also it. a hero of the War of eighteen twelve. So it's not the well, only war he lost. <laughs> I always would have thought of him in that regard as well. He reminds me of Jackson. You know, who was like he he was he was known as a military hero. And you think about Jackson in like the Battle of uh, New Orleans. You know, he was known as a military hero and he sort of rode that in. But then his record's more than a little questionable. Well, Jackson was a sociopath. But Harrison just looks like he's sort of in the right place at the right time or at least had the right people to sort of fluff up the the things that he did so that he could continue to be a leader um, and maybe just Tippecanoe because it's it's so much fun to say that that just became a fun that, that just became a fun lyric to kind of it's a great slogan. I mean, it's memorable now. It's funny too because it's like I remember learning that in almost every grade and knowing so little about Harrison because all they would say was that slogan, the speech, the pneumonia, and. <laughs> Which was oh the long speech of course yes I mean well, the, that's like, the, the inauguration speech right 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 oh man I mean what else is there to say about him as a president though well that's true but you could easily talk about like everything else he did we were in Indiana like talk about that's you know, true talk about I mean, Tippecanoe he, about profits he was he was the last president born uh, before the revolution so there's there's that 
So he was, um, he was 67 Sylvia's when he took, <laughs> took the office. Yeah, to Sylvia's point, he succeeded by not dying, and he was immortalized by dying, ironically enough. <laughs> Get woke or go broke. Get woke or go broke. Get woke or go broke. There you all are. What are you doing dressed all in black and practicing a cheer I've never heard? Come on. The pep rally starts in five minutes. Here, put these on. Ooh, you're actually expecting us to wear headdresses, Katie? Uh, well, yeah, Caitlin. We're members of the William Henry Harrison High School Shawnee Booster Club. And we've been wearing our school's trademark Shawnee headdresses to every pep rally since we were freshmen? Duh! <laughs> well, we won't anymore. We're boycotting pep rallies until William Henry Harrison High School changes its name. Yeah, William Henry Harrison was a genocidal killer, and genocide is bullshit! We're woke now. Oh yeah, totally. I'm so woke, I'm an insomniac. And being non-binary, I've been woke since birth, but I'm even woker now. So... Colin, Colton, C, the hottest girl in school gets all politically correct, and now you're all social justice warriors? What? You think we've become aware because Kaylin is hot? That's bullshit. <laughs> Excuse me? No, no, no. You're totally hot, Kaylin. It's just that we're protesting because you're, like, also informative now? Yeah. Thanks to you, Kaylin, I now know that I'm not just not in binary. I'm two spirits, which sounds even cooler. Mm. Um, Kaylin, what have you been telling these guys? Listen, Katie, while you were appropriating a culture... Well, cultural appropriation is bullshit. I was learning the history of Native Americans from YouTube videos. Did you know that William Henry Harrison used to be a president? Um, yeah. Why do you think they named a school after him? Uh, he had three names. I assumed he was an assassin, right. like Ralph Waldo Emerson. You actually go to William Henry Harrison High School and don't know he was elected president, but then didn't wear a hat and coat on his inauguration day, so he caught cold and died, like, 30 days later? Bullshit! There must have been a conspiracy to hide his hat and coat. Who is his vice president? Oh my god, you guys! You grew up right near the Tippecanoe River, and you've never heard the slogan, Tippecanoe and... and Tigger, too. Yeah, I, yeah, I just pissed in the Tippecanoe River a couple hours ago, so thank you very much. <laughs> Tigger... Tigger was a racist stereotype. And racist stereotypes are bullshit. Funny you should bring up Tippecanoe, Katie. William Henry Harrison earned that nickname when he massacred the Tippecanoe Indians in East Lafayette during the War of 1812. Oh, please! That is totally not what happened. Uh, Katie, you have got to overcome your white privilege. Yeah, white privilege is bullshit. As the only member of an oppressed minority in this group, I approve of that statement. Get woke or go broke. Get woke or go broke. You guys, William Henry Harrison didn't massacre the Tippecanoe Indians because there is no Tippecanoe tribe. Well, not anymore, obviously, because of the genocide. There never was. 
is. In 1811, when he was governor of Indiana Territory, Harrison led a big army up the Tippecanoe River to attack a settlement called Prophetstown, where a bunch of Indian tribes lived, including the Shawnees, our mascot. Hello? Katie, it doesn't matter who William Henry Harrison massacred. What matters is that we feel guilty about it. Yeah, well, Harrison didn't massacre anybody. Oh, man, more apologists for genocide. Sorry to tell you, Katie, but apologies are bullshit. We are supposed to believe that a superior force of white soldiers attacked an Indian settlement and just didn't massacre them. You might need to be a little more open-minded, C. Maybe the Indians were better fighters and inflicted more casualties on the white army. But because they left Prophetstown, William Henry Harrison got to claim a military victory that the Whig Party totally exaggerated when he ran for president. Bullshit! There was never a Whig Party! I don't know about that, Colton. Cosplay has been around a lot longer than you think. Really? Well, okay, if you know so much about Native Americans, Katie, why don't you object to the cultural appropriation that these headdresses represent? They're a violation of Shawnee dignity. No, guys, they really aren't. Shawnees wore turbans. It was only Plains Indians who wore headdresses, but since they looked cool in old movies, they became a symbol of all Indians. So we're appropriating both Indian culture and Hollywood culture. It is like meta-racist. And it's meta-bullshit. Get woke or go broke. We're not being racist against anybody. Since the mega church people made the booster club stop selling holiday wreaths, we haven't had enough money for real feathers, so I've been ordering boas from this store called Drag Queen Closet and cutting them up into headdresses. Wait, I might even support that. Can't you leave us something to be upset about? How about the fact that you're so outraged over Native American history when you don't actually know anything about it? <sighs> Fine, whatever. William Henry Harrison was the greatest president of all time, and we should all be proud to attend a school named after him. Hip, hip, hooray. Actually, he wasn't much of a president. Or a general. Or a person, really. But we're stuck with his legacy, so we might as well make the best of it. You know, I'm starting to think that boycotting the pep rally is bullshit. I still don't have any school spirit. <laughs> I have two. You can borrow one of mine. Yeah. yeah. Well, shall we talk about the speech that may or may not have given him the pneumonia that may or may not have that more or less killed him? We probably should. I believe it is the, it is on, I think it still holds the record for the longest inauguration speech. Isn't it like three and a half, four hours? Sounds right. I've got it open it, right It took, him, took him two hours. Uh, it was, it was you got, two hours, I, almost 9,000 words. I thought y'all in Indiana had to memorize that. But then he went to the <laughs> and, and that was after Daniel Webster edited it for length. <laughs> I do remember that. I also remember, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that his wife was too sick to attend, which is kind of hilarious in retrospect. Or tent. Yes. So what was so consequential in the country that he would have a three-hour speech? Good question. A three-hour speech. <laughs> I mean, basically, uh, I mean, the he, had, he, had to, he had to explain exactly how he was going to undo everything that Jackson and Van Buren had been doing. 
Yes, I think he – did he promise to, re- like, to reopen the National Bank? Yeah. Because he was big on that he would reverse every – like pretty much everything except Indian removal was going to get reversed. So it took three hours to run through that. I could see that. Well, that and then he was in a parade and went to like three balls. For being a sort of older man for the time, probably not the best idea. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that the point, though? He was trying to prove his vitality by giving such a long speech without a coat on. He should have worn a coat. He should have worn a coat. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then proving his vigor by attending all of these events. But he sort of proves himself wrong right away. You want a exactly. president to survive that. He is immediately sick. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, given... to be fair, That's uh, Washington didn't have any, like, real sewage system so everyone was sick mm-hmm. all the time <laughs> wow. go ahead sandy so tommy given the content of the speech and a very lengthy detailed outline of his plans had he worn a coat what do you think the harrison presidency would have been like let us speculate what would happen if we didn't end up with tyler do you think well i think i think we might have actually you know I think we might have seen like a more nas- a lasting national bank. I definitely think we would have seen a stronger Federalist Party. Um, yeah. A stronger uh, Whig Party, you mean? Oh, yes, of course. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> a stronger Whig Party. A stronger Whig for America. <laughs> but I, I think other than, like, I'm trying to think. I, I think one of the things that would play out almost exactly the same is the expansion West, or very similarly, I don't think he would have restricted slavery either. I know he was not as, say, in favor of it as Van Buren, but I don't think he was willing to go, I don't think he was willing to risk his political currency for that. Well, also, uh, Indiana was kind of a southern state, arguably still is, in yeah. a lot of ways. It's very funny. Uh, Indianapolis is built around a large monument to the Civil War and the Spanish-American War, and technically to all soldiers and sailors, but we listed the tolls of Indiana casualties there. They sent, by percentage, like sort of record numbers to the Civil War. And yet I think I saw more Confederate flags when I lived in Indiana than when I lived in Georgia. So explain that. Um, I do th- but I do think that's true of Indiana. Other than the pockets of Quakers, people were not maybe against slavery morally everywhere. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I, I have relatives in Marion, and that is, I believe, one of the birthplaces of the modern... Ku Klux Klan in class. In fact, when I visited, and this was in the 70s, my uncle was like, yep, the rifle shop that's run by the local Klan. Okay. Yeah, there's a, there's a high school in sort of like, it's like about 50 miles, I think, outside of Indianapolis. It's called New Palestine. That's the name of the town. Their mascot is the Dragons because the Grand Dragon donated the land that the high school's on. Wow. And they do not hide mm. that fact. Mm-hmm. They are. They're proudly letting that flag fly. So things aren't great over in Indiana. I sort of wonder if Indiana would have been different had Harrison survived his presidency. Uh, but probably it wouldn't. State pride and su- state pride more of a bond with the union with the yeah with the union. Yes, no, because correct. other than that, the the people they teach about in terms of like federal politics or that they did when I was going through school. This will age me because uh, it predates like Pence. But we had the two Harrisons and Dan Quayle. Ooh. So 
Yeah, like no one's really proud of the people who made it to the federal stage. <laughs> we have Jesse, you can claim Jesse Jackson from Gary, right? That is true, yes. Yeah. Well, I was, don't you mean Michael Jackson? No, no. no. <laughs> Jesse, too. Oh, also. Jesse, Jesse too. Yeah. Yep. Okay. They, they share it that. takes some strong people to get out of Gary. <laughs> You yeah. gotta, you gotta be tough. You're gonna yeah. go a little crazy. All right. Um, well, um, since again, right. nothing, nothing became of the candle. Oh, uh, well, I was just gonna say uh, to sort of sum up my answer to Sandy. I think we still would have seen uh, the tension put on the slavery question by westward expansion, and I don't think Harrison would have slowed westward expansion at all. He was very a full steam ahead guy on that. He wanted, uh, he wanted that land for the United States whether it was slave or free territory. I had a question for Paul before we move on. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there was a moment the day after the inauguration, or like how much time was there where William Henry Harrison perhaps thought that he was just badly hungover and not like going to die? Like when do you think he realized that this was serious? Um... I don't know, probably the moment he keeled over. He doesn't strike me as the most deep or reflective man. Do you think there was a time that he realized, uh-oh, it's, they're going to, we're going to cut off our tip of canoe and we're going to wave the title or two? <laughs> I mean, pr- probably at least by the time they started shoving castor oil down his throat. He'd be <laughs> yeah. like, oh, this is not going to end well. Yeah. I wonder if there was a point, though, where doctors were coming in and he was like, no, 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 I'm just going to... I'm going to sleep this off and things are going to be fine. And then we'll go about the presidency as usual. Could have worn a mask. Could have yeah. worn a mask. <laughs> yeah. So that's, um, that's all we have for uh, William Henry Harrison. Not quite as long as his presidency, but um, oh, thank God there's another president. And so I learned, while researching this book, that John Tyler was a man of great contradictions. A president whose ascent to office created a greater legacy than anything he achieved while in power. A chief executive who renounced his citizenship in the country he once led. And, in summation, a fascinating subject for a biography. Before I sign your first editions of my book, John Tyler, An American Life, I'll take a few questions. Yes? So if John Tyler was a traitor and a slaveholder, why aren't people tearing down statues of him? Lack of opportunity. There are no monuments to John Tyler? There were, but most were destroyed during his lifetime. Are there any other questions? Coming to you from Chicago, Illinois, DB Comedy presents The Electables, Presidential Sketch Comedy and History for People Who Can't Afford Hamilton. Today's episode, President 10, John Tyler. Up until up until this time, uh, succession in the government was co- was covered by Article 2, Section 1, Clause 6 of the Constitution, 
which uh, in brief says that in case of the removal of the president from office or of his death, resignation, or inability to discharge the powers and duties of the said office, the same shall devolve on the vice president. And so what largely this meant was that it was established that if for whatever reason, like not wearing a coat on your inauguration and dying a month later, uh, the president couldn't be the president, then all of the powers and duties of the office would go to the vice president. But uh, no one was actually sure what that made the vice president. Like uh, Tyler, uh, there was a lot of debate among the cabinet, among Harrison's cabinet, uh, as to whether or not Tyler would then be the vice president still until a new election could be held, or if he was to be called acting president, if he was like, president pro temp or something uh and so john tyler solved this by simply refusing to answer unless someone called him president tyler yeah he sent back <laughs> a lot of correspondence as i recall that was like to the acting president or vice president president pro temp any of that which means that he was actively ignoring like the duties of the president unless people would call him the president which does sound similar to what we're going through now so, Letitia died of embarrassment. <laughs> Gentlemen, the news we have been fearing has indeed come to pass. Webster, you mean... Yes, Mr. Ewing, I am afraid President Harrison has passed. About time. Mr. Crittenden. Oh, please. The man was clinging to life far longer than a man of his advanced age had a right to for the affliction he had. Can we have a moment of respect? Indeed. America has lost its leader just as he began his presidency. And this has never happened before. We told the old coot to put on a hat, but he wouldn't listen. Please, Mr. Crittenden. But... It leads us to a question we have avoided while the president lay sick. What exactly do we do now? What do you mean? The country does not have a head of state, gentlemen. It doesn't, does it? I reviewed the Constitution. The writers didn't seem to plan for such a contingency. (gasps) The Founding Fathers missed something... Oh, we should stop the plans for carving their likenesses into mountains then, shouldn't we? What's your answer to the conundrum then, smarty britches? The logical answer would be to place someone into the job who is somewhat close to the job already. Should we not be discussing this with the vice president as well? Uh, Perhaps we should retire into the Oval Office to discuss it. And call Mr. Tyler into the conversation. Gentlemen. What the? Mr. Tyler. Good afternoon. What are you doing in the Oval Office just after President Harrison has expired? And why are you sitting behind President Harrison's desk? I have a declaration I would like to make to you and for the country. And as the acting First Lady, I am here to support my uncle. Gentlemen. At the risk of sounding arrogant. You can never sound arrogant, Mr. Tyler. May I finish, please, Mr. Ewing? My apologies. Thank you. As I was stating, since I was quite 
literally the vice president of the country. It does seem that with President Harrison expiring, that makes me the new president. <laughs> Mr. Crittenden? <laughs> Whose lame idea was this? Yours or your niece's? <laughs> Please, show some respect. <laughs> well, why should he start now? I uh, do not see how you are president, Mr. Tyler. Mr. Tyler? Uh, Mr. Tyler, may I have the courtesy of a response? <clears throat> Mr. Webster and everyone, can you please use the title of president when addressing my uncle? What? Thank you, dearest Priscilla. Yes, Mr. President Uncle. For the love of... At the risk of sounding immodest, it is uh, known the most efficient stepping stone to the presidency is Secretary of State. Uh, if we are going by elections. Excuse me. I said, excuse me. Excuse me who? You. And who am I, Mr. Webster? Mr. Webster, if anyone has a claim to the office of president at this moment in time, should it not be the man immortalized in the chorus of that most famous campaign song? Tippecanoe and Tyler, too. Oh, that doggerel. Tippecanoe and Tyler, too! I submit it should be the new vice president. Oh, wait a second. I submit it should be the vice president, Mr. Tyler. <coughs> it should be the new president, Mr. Tyler. <coughs> Him. President Tyler. Thank you, dearest acting first lady. No, 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 no. Webster is right. Secretary of State has been the stepping stone to the presidency since the founding of the Republic, which gives his claim more weight than uh, the President Tyler's. What that, are you? That wasn't so hard, was it? Sitting in William Henry Harrison's chair does not give you the office, sir. President. Let's not be cross. If the vice president wasn't first in line, why else should the position exist? I believe this is the moment in American history that John Adams remarks about the office being less worthless than a bucket of spit can be shown to be. Inflated. Owing to your vast experience of being in the office for tens of minutes, no doubt. I have to say, I do believe Mr. Um, President Tyler and his trusted and lovely niece has a point. They have a point? As the Attorney General, Mr. Crittenden, it makes the most logical sense. Secretary of State is for foreign affairs, Vice President for domestic affairs. Establishing a line of succession would finally give the damn office some clear purpose. My uncle certainly has as much experience as the late President Harrison. Oh, how my wife would be so encouraged to hear of my ascension as she lays recovering from her stroke. Playing off your wife's illness on top of everything else? Oh, stuff his wife. So we, who were selected by the now late president, should now turn around and endorse his second-in-command to become president? Sounds like a plan to me. Squatter's rights and Tyler, too. You are not helping, Mr. Law and Order. It could serve as precedent. We know. A precedent we all should agree we should not want to see repeated. If presidents continually died in office, it would not be such a revered seat to be sought after, and there shall be another election soon enough. 
Four years fly by in the blink of an eye, Mr. Webster. I don't want to stay in my position if we have to cope with the idiocy and self-inflation of John Tyler. Indeed. Well, they may have a point. Windsock. Gentlemen, the country has gone through a trauma. The discussion of petty politics should be set aside. Let's not bicker any further on the day of a passing of a president. I will then await to continue my bickering on another day, Mr. President. Then it is decided? Fine. I agree to make John Tyler the new President of the United States. As am I. Crittenden? Sure. Congratulations, Mr. President. It is done. We have found a successor for the presidency of William Henry Harrison. Let us have the funeral and then arrange a new swearing-in once that is done. Gentlemen, with your help and God's providence, we shall succeed as President Harrison would have wished. Talking too long and dying? Sir! Apologies. Congratulations, President, President Tyler. Tyler. Uh, we should retire to plan for the ceremonies in the Grand Room to let our new president tend to his duties, including finding a new cabinet after the funeral. We, we resign. resign. Bastard should have worn a coat. That did not go as pleasantly as we expected, Uncle... Uh, Mr. President. Tippecanoe and Tyler, too. Not only did no one want him to be the vice president, he was so bad at it that it's really kind of astounding that Harrison got elected. Tyler would go around the country... Uh, giving speeches to try to assure that no Northerners that he shared Harrison's views, uh, which he did not, and he was <laughs> and his speeches were so widely panned uh, that eventually he just started quoting Harrison some of Harrison's speeches at his own. <laughs> wow! So he, he also was, has a little Biden in him too. <laughs> he was uh, he came out strong against the like the restoration of a national bank, right? Like that was their big division. Oh yeah, it was it was like the one big thing that the Whigs cared about. He he once gave a two hour speech in Columbus, Ohio, where he did not mention it once. Boy, misfortune followed the good Mister Tyler for his entire presidency. Um, first off, he comes he becomes president when Harrison dies. Then, I believe his wife. Poor Mrs. Tyler, I'm sorry, I don't have her name right in front of me, died within like a month of that. And then the entire cabinet quits. Yeah. And, then and then the Princeton disaster. Was that the ship that the... the ship, yeah. Oh, then. yes, when he killed his father-in-law, Abel Upshur. Yes. <laughs> That's never good. That's never I mean, a good thing. Technically, he didn't kill him, but he was party to it. And I mean, also, like, I, I want to say around 20 people died. So, what is his favorite slave, Armistead? Can you describe it a little bit for our listeners? Yes, he was on a uh, he was on a river cruise. I was this for the Fourth of July, but he was on a he was on a celebratory river cruise. Oh, I was in February. Um, <laughs> they had fired. There was a new uh, class of gun, I believe, the Peacemaker, like a cannon, a large cannon. 
They had fired it for the crowd earlier, and everyone was very excited. Oh, boy. You are, yes. Uh, I you see know. where this is going. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> So then the party continues and people are drinking. And a few hours later, uh, the secretary of war says, we should fire it again, you know, for the same reason. They're not firing on anything. This is celebratory. Well, the left support of the cannon, I believe, failed. So it sprays all of this shrapnel and debris across the deck and kills, like, a lot of people wow. very quickly. I know it killed, because uh, there were a lot of cabinet members there. So it was, yeah, it wasn't, like, great. <laughs> oh, Secretary of State Upshur. He killed his Secretary of State. Yeah, uh, and also that's one uh, way to keep him from becoming president. Though you have to <laughs> also uh, his Secretary of the Navy, David uh, Thomas Gilmer. Here I've got, oh. a, I got a little list here. We've also got killed or mortally wounded Virgil Maxey of Maryland, Representative <laughs> David Gardner of New York, <laughs> Beverly Kennan, Chief of Construction of the U.S. Navy. And Armistead, his black slave and body servant. So, oh my God! Certain yeah. biographies yeah. refer to as a beloved servant. Now, there's the gloss. Yeah, <laughs> and but uh, David Gardner, David Gardner is significant because his uh, his daughter Julia was there, uh, and at the sight of her father being blown up, she fainted uh, <laughs> and was carried away by John Tyler, who later married her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The ultimate meat cute. <laughs> That's, I think, why the good Miss John Gardner, is that his first name, John Gardner? That's uh, David, why he was David on the Gardner. boat, because the lovely Letitia Tyler had shaken off this mortal coil, and, you know, we can't have a bachelor president. God knows what rumors that would start. So John started courting the lovely young Julia. Here! Bring your father on this cruise. We'll put him right in front of the big gun. I was going to say, so how did Tyler, so it sounds like Tyler was just there when this horrible series, this horrible thing happened, yet somehow he got the blame for it because he was president? He had gone below deck. I don't know exactly who blamed him, although I think like the cruise was in his honor, so you sort of take some of the blame right away. <laughs> as, as none of us would have been on this boat, if not for you. Ah... Uh, uh, but no, he, he did not decide to fire the cannon again. He was below decks, uh, which is also why he survived. Uh, yeah, he wasn't, like, at the site of the explosion, but... Yeah, I think also, like, it, as, as far as why it was such a disaster for his presidency, um, it was actually... It, it, the cruise was in honor of uh, the Treaty of Annexation of Texas. And so mm-hmm. um, a lot of people say that because of that disaster uh it's you know dashed any hopes of quickly actually going through with the annexation of texas and so dragged that on for for quite some time afterwards yeah earlier we talked about texas joining the union during but actually it just became independent it became the republic during that uh, is, is the battle of alamo somewhere around there or is that a little later uh that would have been before the oh was that before this uh, the republic that's for their independence from mexico got it mary dear must you sit and sew in the oval office while i'm trying to plan a war Oh, Abraham, you've been so gloomy since the attack on Fort Sumter. I thought my presence might provide some gaiety. Beloved, even at my most melancholy times, I do not lack gaiety. 
You are a mystery, Abraham Lincoln. And shall always be. No, good heavens. What's that noise? Well, either Robert E. Lee has fired a cannon at the White House from his plantation in Arlington, or... Mr. Lincoln, President Tyler has arrived. My next guess. Show his accidency in, Kennelly. Yes, sir. Oh, I'm sorry to report that Mr. Tyler's driver had some trouble pulling into the White House stable. And I'm sure it's rather a mess. But that's the purpose of my presidency, to clean up horse shit <gasps> left by my predecessors. Language, Abraham. English, Mary. Uh, you'll excuse us, dear. Oh, but I'm not done mending this dress. Should both the dress and I survive this conversation with Tyler, I shall be happy to model it for you. Why, if my eyes don't deceive me? <clears throat> and they don't. It's the 10th president of the United States. Thanks for coming out on such short notice, Tyler. My duty is a Virginia gentleman. Uh, terribly sorry about the bloodstains on your carpet, Mrs. Lincoln. It's quite all right, Mr. Tyler. Let me help you. <laughs> oh, I, I'm awfully sorry. I, it seems I was careless with my cigar. Oh, don't, don't fret, Mr. Tyler. I'm sure this won't be the last mishap involving cigars and dresses in the Oval Office. Besides... I hear the fashionable ladies of Paris are wearing clothes with big, gaping burn holes in them this season. <laughs> the French are a curious people, aren't they? Uh, quite. Uh, speaking of the French, I, I think I'll retreat. You needn't have sent away your wife, Lincoln, unless you fear this will be an awkward conversation. Even if it is, Tyler. <laughs> There's no former president better acquainted with awkwardness than you. Won't you sit down? All right. I horribly sorry I can send you another chair from Virginia. It's all right, Tyler. Chairs can be mended. But nations? Not so much. That's why I invited you back to the White House to discuss sensitive matters of state. Have a glass of port. Oh, I thank you. <laughs> horribly sorry. I hope that goblet wasn't a family heirlooms. It was a wedding gift from Mary's father. So, no. You seem a bit nervous, Tyler. My apologies if your return to the White House reminds you of the many funerals you hosted here. Well, no, there was only Harrison's. And my, my wife's. And my Secretary of State, Abel Upshur, after the ship exploded on the Potomac. Which, uh, as I recall, also killed your favorite slave. And your future father-in-law. How was Julia? Oh, lovely. And sprightly as ever. Uh, why, since we retired to my Virginia plantation, she's borne me th se seven strapping children. Ah, a house full of happy accidents. Despite all appearances, you're a lucky man, John Tyler. So what do you imagine we can do to avert this abominable war? Not much, I'm afraid. I convened a peace conference not two months ago, and it appears we weren't successful. <laughs> no need for false modesty, Tyler. Your efforts on behalf of peace are worthy of real modesty. Indeed, this nation has never faced a crisis which has not found you standing like a colossus upon the fence, hoping to appease both sides. The Virginia way, but I am mocked for my gentle manliness. Which proves your power to unite. Our last great moment of national solidarity was your presidency, when both Whig and Democrat burned you in effigy. That's why I'm hoping to prevail upon your particular talents to end this foolishness. 
I shall put forth my best efforts, as always. I was hoping you'd say that. What I need you to do, Tyler, is spread all sorts of malicious gossip about your fellow Virginians. Say they cheated cards or have fathered scores of mulatto bastards. Whichever you think is more offensive. But, uh, but, but, but those aren't the actions of a gentleman. Neither is spying on political advocacy groups in Maine merely because they oppose your policies, nor is conspiring with the British ambassador to buy favorable notices in the press. But uh, you did both while president, Tyler. But as a Virginian, I am sworn to never slander against a friend. How can you slander someone with the truth? That does it. I renounce my U.S. citizenship. I shan't endure the tyranny of a Negro-loving yokel with no sense of chivalry. All right then, Tyler. I won't prevent you from switching your loyalties to the Confederacy. If you should ride to Montgomery, swear your allegiance to the South, throw your arms around Jefferson Davis in a loving embrace, and convince him to move the capital of the CSA to Richmond, Virginia, I'd be the last man to try and stop you. So be it. Well, that, that closet didn't used to be there. Buchanan had it installed. He was fond of closets. Well, may you spend your life trapped in it. Already done. Godspeed, Tyler. Good heavens, why is the Oval Office a pigsty? War is a dirty business, my dear. Abraham Lincoln, why are you smiling like the Mona Lisa? Because I have just sent defeat down to the south. Oughtn't that be vice versa? If you wish. Speaking of vice versa, shall I try on this dress? Oh. So I'm looking, I found a little chart of the Tyler cabinet. This is hysterical. He served less than four years, I mean, by, you know, percentages given that. But in that time, he had three secretaries of state, four secretaries, <laughs> four secretaries <laughs> of the treasury, killed what? Well, four secretaries of the treasury, four secretaries of war, three attorneys general, two postmasters general, Five secretaries of the Navy. One of whom he blew up. One of whom he blew up. Actually, two of them who he blew up because Abel Upshur also was secretary of the Naval, Navy for a right, short time. Right. <laughs> but here's the best part. He never had a vice president. Wow. He's... <laughs> I think I think anyone else was like, oh, that's some bad juju. Can't get involved yeah. in that. I mean, people got the hell out of town when Tyler approached them and offered them a cabinet seat. It's like, I've seen what happens. Yeah. Man. A good portion of them blew up. So I think it became an unpopular job. I also got, you got to imagine that how could he trust a vice president after what he had done as vice president? <laughs> the whole time he'd be thinking like, they're just going to wait till I give a long speech and die. And <laughs> run right in. And then he retires and somehow manages to continue being really hated and reviled by everybody. That's quite a trick. It's impressive they remembered him. As well, you're the guy that blew all those pe blew all them people up. Yeah, that's actually pretty. He renounced his U.S. citizenry citizenship during. I don't know if it was before during uh, the Civil War. Well, he was he was on the Virginia Secession Convention. He he voted. As part of, as Virginia to secede from the Union. Part of that was because he was so insulted that you know, 
He had attempted to forge a compromise. He he hosts what I call some sort of convention uh, early in the or late in the beginning, early in the Lincoln administration, to try to bridge the two. You know, to try to save the Union, but it was as successful as all of his other ventures. Yeah, he. Uh, I, I mean, he actually was also elected to the House of Representatives of the Confederacy, uh, but he died of a stroke the day before it could open. Womp womp. <laughs> and that's that was after he had thirty children by his second wife. He was prolific. He has a grandson still living, right? That's John. That's Tyler. I believe that's correct. Yeah. Which is involved in politics, perhaps, or I don't know if the son is. I'm not getting on a boat with that guy, whoever he is. No. <laughs> Everyone just avoid him, avoid speeches, boats, any of it. And then, and so that leaves us to him finally exiting uh, the presidency. The first, he was never allowed. Are, I mean, if you think, wow, stop and think about it. The first president that was never elected that served. We always thought it was Ford, but true. no. Well, no, I mean, he was elected as vice president. Ford was appointed vice president, so he never, That's, never ran. Good point. Ford still holds the most unelected president title. Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, just to add to the just series of unfortunate events that was the life of John Tyler. <laughs> uh, his last words were, perhaps it's best. <laughs> <laughs> now I feel bad for the guy. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds he, like it's a good place to wrap up our discussion of poor John Tyler. And he's the only president whose uh, death has never been officially recognized in Washington, D.C. See? Well, that may be because, in other words. Be, because he was a Confederate. So, uh, oh, I was going to say, perhaps it's because the next president had a precedent involved that he said involving cannibalism. Or did he? Bum, bum, bum. Those are just rumors. No one has ever proven anything about so, cannibalism. Those are just rumors that we started in spring. <laughs> and you can hear more of on our next episode of James K. Polk, American Cannibal. <laughs> DB Comedy presents The Electables This episode's sketches were written and produced by Gina Bukola, Sandy Bykowski, Joseph Fedorko, Ramona Chouet, Sylvia Mann, Paul Moulton, and Patrick J. Riley. This episode's sketches were performed by Gina Bukola, Sandy Bykowski, Brad Davidson, Joseph Fedorko, Ramona Chouet, Sylvia Mann, Paul Moulton, Patrick J. Riley. Sean Rostin, Tommy Spears, and Louise Thomas. Best is by Joseph Fedorko. Contributions to DB Comedy are graciously accepted by going to the DB Comedy donation page at fracturedatlas.com, who is the nonprofit fiscal sponsor of DB Comedy. Donations are tax deductible to the fullest extent allowed by law. For more information on DB Comedy and the electables, visit DB Comedy's website, dbcomedychicago.com. Follow us on Facebook at DB Comedy and Twitter at DB Comedy Chicago. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading.